Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's Hello and welcome to Sega Talk. I'm Barry. With me is George. We're back, finally, right? We're we're back, or as they would say in uh, the sequel to the game we're talking about, we're back, and we are talking about Crazy Taxi. I, <laughs> that was hard to do. Um, yeah, so Crazy Taxi. This is our second 1999 game. The previous one was Power Stone, and uh, these both are, you know, they were both Naomi games. They both released in 1999. So Crazy Taxi, it was developed by Sega AM3, later known as Hitmaker, and published by Sega for Naomi Arcade Hardware in 1999, as mentioned. The game features an open-world taxi-driving gameplay in San Francisco in which players deliver customers to their destinations in the fastest possible time. And I know a lot of people know that, but I've realized sometimes we'll do these shows and not say the basic gameplay premise. Yeah, of Um, course. (laughs) I was going to say, you think they named themselves Hitmaker after they made this game, like... They're like, look, Crazy Taxi was everywhere. We make hits. Our name is Hitmaker. That's it. I love it. I think Hitmaker, you know, we don't talk about them a lot. We talk about Smilebit, Sonic Team, obviously, AM2, but Hitmaker is the one that I feel like doesn't get a lot of discussion. And you know, it's, you know, it's kind of funny. It probably They probably had the most mainstream success. I don't think, like, Sega AM2 had Daytona USA that was huge, but, like, Crazy Taxi was pretty freaking huge, too. And mm-hmm. so was uh, Virtual Tennis and other games they created. Yeah, and I mean, once we get into the list of games, it's it's kind of jaw-dropping how many great games they've made. Um, but I just want to know from you and myself, uh, what was your history with Crazy Taxi? Do you remember the first time you've played it? Yeah, I, they had one, and I, I, I think this is probably uh, kind of a basic thing for a lot of people in America. They had Crazy Taxi in my local theater. At, and, you know, I think... A lot of people that I met told me that the same story, that their local theater had a crazy taxi machine. And I played it in the arcade first, and then I played it on Dreamcast when it came out uh, later. But it's a great game, and it's a... Uh, I mean, what's your history with it, Bear? I don't recall exactly when I first played it, but it most definitely was either at a state fair or a movie theater. Um, I distinctly remember the state fair experience, so that might have been the first one, because I remember seeing the big machine and you saw the cabbies and they looked really weird especially you know like BD Joe and Axel and I remember the game ending very quickly which I'm sure <laughs> is a lot of people's experience with it um, and it didn't turn me off from it but it definitely made me think that it was a quick game a very fast game which is actually not the case which we'll get into yeah. um, and then as far as the Dreamcast I just remember it was the first game I played on the Dreamcast um, first arcade game that I played on the Dreamcast where I was like, this is amazing. I'm playing an arcade experience at home and it's one-to-one. Exactly. I was going to say that too. It was like one of the first times it didn't feel super dumbed down. I think Soul Calibur for a lot of people was the the other one that had it, you know, the launch title, but I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't play Soul Calibur in the arcades. I only played it on Dreamcast, so to me, I didn't really know the, you know, uh, the differences or whatever. Uh, right. Obviously, the Dreamcast one is superior, but like when you played Crazy Taxi in the arcade, it was everywhere in the arcade, so it was kind of hard not to play it. I think, because like, right, uh, almost every establishment I used to go to at this time period in the '90s, late '90s, they had Crazy Taxi there to play. Yeah, and you know, Crazy Taxi. It's also, I think, important at least to me, just because it, it started a long argument that happened at the Segabits forums some years ago, where I said. Oh, every time I see Crazy Taxi in an arcade, I've got to play it. And someone said, that's stupid. You own it at home. Why would you waste your money on it? And <laughs> there was a long debate over why would you play a game that you have an arcade perfect port at home of at the arcade and, and spend your money on it. And I really think Crazy Taxi, well, I think the home experience is almost superior. Sitting there with the wheel in the arcade and using your home experience, especially the crazy box challenges... Um, what you learn from those in the arcade is just so satisfying. It's not as though a crowd built up around me, but it made me feel good. <laughs> yeah, and there's a, and it's one of those games where like 
it looks on the surface that it's really easy. You pick up these like get uh, these uh, riders or whatever, and you deliver yeah. them to places. But there's a there's mechanics in it that make it more deeper to get every single second out of every single run, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of them, and we'll 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 run through them in just a little bit. I did want to talk about AM3's other accomplishments, and maybe we could see what the road to Crazy Taxi looked like for them. So AM3 was known for their rail shooters and real-life career simulators, albeit with a typical over-the-top twist. So AM3's titles included such games as Rail Chase, Gunblade New York, uh, Jurassic Park The Lost World, Star Wars Arcade, Decathlete, Virtua Tennis, Jumbo Safari, and the Do uh, Derby Owners Club series. They also experimented with VR and motion controls with games like Dragon Ball Z VRVS, and their most popular franchise next to Crazy Taxi is, can you name it? Virtual On? Yeah. Yeah. And so, what are your thoughts on their um, gameography leading up to Crazy Taxi? And do you see a clear path to Crazy Taxi or perhaps no. other possible influences from past titles? Uh, see, no, I don't. That's, that's, that's kind of funny because, I mean, we could see little things like, I guess, Jumbo Safari, technically. Mm -hmm. But, like... It, I just feel like all these teams in Japan were crazy. Like, they would just stand up one day, they're like, well, I'm making a mech game. All right. The next day, they're like, how about a, a game where you're a taxi driver? What? All right. Cool. Like, none of this stuff kind of makes sense. Like, okay, there's Gunblade New York. <laughs> it just doesn't add up. I don't know. Like, they were just all over the place. Like, they were allowed to do whatever they wanted, and you could tell by the games they created. Like, a Star Wars arcade game, and then all of a sudden, you know, Gunblade New York. It's like, whatever. It's like, all right, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought long and hard about this question when I was writing it. And it's, on one hand, it is difficult to see how they could have gotten to Crazy Taxi. On the other hand, you do see some similarities in some of their past games. For example, um, Star Wars Arcade, uh, which I played recently at the Galloping Ghost, had, I, I'd say, a kind of a similar feel just because you it was free roaming in space, which was, I think, pretty groundbreaking at the time. I think it was 1994 that came out. And there were, you know, things you were supposed to do. So it was like, kill this many TIE fighters, fly to this place. So there was sort of that um, go from point A to point B sort of gameplay. Um, and plus there was the running timer. Not that that's, you know, unique to Hitmaker and AM3 games, but you saw that with Virtual On, it was trying to get you to move as fast as you could to, you know, defeat the enemy. But I think you mentioned Jumbo Safari. I'd say that was probably the closest game to Crazy Taxi, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd also say that their their visuals, much like our AM2 discussion, which I believe we've had many times on both Sega Talk and Swing and Report Show podcasts, they have a unique visual style that is almost like simplistic you know what i mean like a cop yeah, car is yeah. a cop car it's not like they overly design it yeah i agree with you 100 percent. and uh rail uh, rail chase i actually played it like uh last month I, mm -hmm. I went to this arcade the arcade was kind of beaten down already it's one of those arcades that like they bought all these machines in the 90s but they never really uh kept repair with them so you're yeah. like walking in and it's like oh man that screen's busted so they had rail chase i've never played rail chase before and they had the deluxe cabinet where you sit down and it's you know it moves oh, wow. so i was yeah. like cool i'm gonna play it i got all excited okay the hydraulics are screwed up no so i was kind of disappointed in that but it's an interest mm. that's a that's another interesting title too like uh, i thought the controls were a little hard but i actually it's pretty cool that we're actually talking about it today so i just wanted to bring that up since i don't think rail chase is gonna have its own episode uh it's no yeah. um it's one of the, those titles you know yeah uh -huh. i'm sorry it's one of those titles you never hear about, that's why. No, absolutely not. The art for it is unique, though, and that's actually one of the rotating headers on our uh, forums. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. Um, but yeah, in terms of the visuals, Crazy Taxi, I mean, it, it could, you know, you could compare it to Virtual On and Virtua Tennis and um, Jumbo Safari. You know, it's very clean looking. Then again, you could kind of say that about most 3D games of that era, you know, like, they did the bare minimum that they could, you know, polygon-wise to represent things, but in doing so, it almost becomes a visual style. Yeah, and um, uh, I mean, they had that whole, like you said, Sega AM2 look, but also yeah. it felt like they tried to add some style, but not too much. Like, you have, like, these characters that I think are a little more, um, 
unique compared to like what Sega AM2 was doing at the time. Like Sega AM2 was like, all right, Daytona car, it's a car, that's it. Or uh, yeah, Virtual Cop, you're a white cop, a, a, a blonde-haired cop, or a guy with <laughs> you know brown hair, that's it. Yeah, yeah, and you see that especially in the taxi designs and the the taxi driver designs. I think everything else in the game is pretty normal. It starts to get a little crazier with the sequels, um, especially with the um, the fares you pick up. I think there's you know like cheerleaders and uh, all those sorts of crazy you know stereotypes. Um, the game Crazy Taxi Gazillionaire like amps it up to a hundred, and like <laughs> each taxi driver just looks insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's funny because uh, uh, Giant Bob did a podcast thing with. They were talking about Gazillionaire, and they were talking about how like he was at one of the guys was at Walmart picking up medicine or something, and there was a, a teenage kid playing Gazillionaire, and he says it's crazy that in 2017 uh, he's still talking about Crazy Taxi. So that's yeah. a good thing. That is a good thing. <laughs> um, one thing I did want to point out. I don't know if this is a case or not, but um, despite not being developed by AM3. AM1's Harley Davidson and LA Riders is often cited as a precursor to Crazy Taxi. In the game, players ride one of five Harley Davidson models through up to five stages, and the objective is to complete a series of checkpoints around LA under a time limit, and both games share a cabinet design. Have you played this game? I have not played this one, and I think it was just probably never... I've seen it one time in a shop, and I didn't play it. I was in a hurry. Because, yeah. I don't know, just Harley Davidson doesn't seem like it's my type of game. But uh, yeah. it, the cabinet looked nice, <laughs> I, at least. Yeah. I, have you played it? I, I haven't. I've seen it in an arcade, too. And I think just because of the Harley Davidson um, branding, I didn't touch it. Because I'm not like into that sort of thing. Like uh, which I, uh, Maybe subliminal, like in the back of my mind, I was thinking that if I got on, I had to have a beard. And like uh, <laughs> you know, uh, my shirt, all my sleeves had to be cut. Yeah, and get a sleazy woman sitting behind you. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I really don't know gameplay gameplay wise. Maybe people just say this because of the cabinet design. Then again, we have seen cases like this with, um, uh, boy, what was it? There was the Buck Rogers game that Sega made, and then a few years later, it looked a lot like uh, Zaxxon or hey, Space Harrier. Yeah. You know. So, I mean, maybe there are similarities. I I really don't know. Maybe that's a question we can pose to you, the listener. Um, getting into the development here, so producer Kenji Kano noted that the time extension on gameplay was a breakaway from the current 100 yen for three minutes that consisted at the time for arcade games. And the Crazy Taxi rewarded players with longer playing times by performing well in the game. And so Kenji Kano, he wanted a game to explore the daily life and routine routine of a taxi driver. So. I guess my question is, um, first off, what do you think about this extending the time gameplay style? And also, do you think Crazy Taxi really was the daily life and routine of a taxi driver? I mean, it's pretty obviously 100% one-to-one, you know? <laughs> I think if yeah. somebody that did, t you know, driving taxis in San Francisco played the game, there'd be, like, a lot less traffic, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, there's sure, no traffic. Sure. I mean, yeah. they, they skipped all the boring stuff and just kept all the, I guess fun stuff i mean the whole open city open world finding shortcuts to get to places is basically the whole the whole gameplay really building around right it. and it plays off of the stereotype that taxi drivers are terrible drivers which is not a stereotype it's it's 100 true like yeah. anytime i've almost been hit by a car it's a taxi yeah no i agree with you but i mean <laughs> they're born that way i mean we can't judge them but, uh, no, they're, yeah. <laughs> as, uh, as for the extending time, you know, that's kind of important. I, I, uh, you know, when you're younger, you don't really think about this, but some of those arcade games are really, really cheap. You know, we just pump quarters in sometimes just to get to the end. But, like, if yeah. you think about it, uh, Crazy Taxi is pretty fair if you know how to play it. And, uh, it does reward you for be for learning the system and all the little, uh, little, little, little things that you like the way you, uh, you, you drift corners, the uh, finding shortcuts. Uh, it mm -hmm. really makes a huge difference in your time. I mean, your timing. So mm -hmm. yeah, I would say that this is one of those games, and I think it's one of those games that I feel it's more fair in the arcades compared to other ones, especially shoot 'em ups and stuff like that. Yeah, um, 
going back to when we were first talking about it and I said, you know, my, my first experiences playing with it, they ended really quickly. I think the reason was is that at the time, Crazy Taxi was the first, I feel like one of the first 3D free roaming driving games. Yeah. Wasn't it? I mean, and I, 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 I mean, I know that. there are games where you're on the road, but I, I can't think of any other games where you could go on the sidewalks and through buildings and just about anywhere your car could go. And it and it all felt pretty, you know, good considering like oh yeah, especially considering how many like how bad some games have aged. Like we could talk about how Sonic Adventure didn't age the way it should have aged. Like while the game got nines and tens when it came out and it was highly regarded. If you play it now and then you play Crazy Taxi next to it, I feel like Crazy Taxi is kind of like a classic. Like you could pick it up right now and still fi- and still figure out the little uh, the, the little tricks and, and tips here and there, and then feel satisfied and rewarded. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And um, I mean, it, in terms of that open world thing, do you think I'm right about that? I'm, I'm yeah. really, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think too, and I couldn't think of anything like any other arcade games. Like, okay, consoles can't do it at home. I mean, I guess uh-uh. if you really want to be picky about it, we could say something like the Crash Bandicoot kart racing game. But like, that wasn't really an open world. It was just kind of like a map where you get to the next race. You just go to an icon. This was more like the whole map was an open world. Like the the, the open world was the level. There was no racing track. Right. Right. And so I think when a lot of people first played it in arcades, at least this is my story, that I wasn't paying attention to how you were supposed to play. And instead, I was just seeing where I could go and what I could get away with, which I'm sure they were fine. I'm sure like Sega was fine with because they're like, hey, they're just going to, you know, get a game over faster and put more money into it. And it's funny because like it's just a game about being a taxi driver, but I feel like they put a lot of work into the open world aspect of it i, I mean no that's something they should have probably played more with sega uh mm-hmm. I, it's it's easy to see why it was popular at the time and uh it did really well on the dreamcast 2 when it came out and it's easy to see because there's no other game technically like this especially in that time period this is kind of innovative in that way oh for sure and so uh, let's talk a little bit about um the game's uh, apparent simplicity so despite appearing simplistic as we have noted, Crazy Taxi had a lot of depth. So there were the four cabbies with Axel, Gina, BD Joe, and Gus. They each had their own stats, though I really don't feel like that was um, made super clear. No. Um, when you selected them. And then there were five types of color-coded fares on a scale from easy to hard, going from green to red, and then I believe the circles um, were also bigger. So the green circles, you had a larger stopping radius and the red ones had the smallest. And then there was also a complex stunts and uh, tricks system and stunts included, oh, and tips as well from the customer. And then stunts included the crazy dash, back dash, stop, drift, and jump. So they're all crazy. my question, they're all crazy, yeah. <laughs> so my question is, when did you become aware of the game's depth, and what are your strategies when playing the game? Uh, I mean, I, my, I suck at this game, so my strategies are probably not uh, worth even discussing. <laughs> but your strategy I, is get good. Get good. That's my, that's my strategy. But uh, I actually learned when I played it on Dreamcast because they had like the the box or what was that thing called the item box or something like they would actually crazy box crazy box. They would actually teach you this kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. In the arcades, I didn't know anything. I just tried to get there as fast as possible, and I didn't know there was like crazy stops. There was like all these little things. They make a huge difference in your performance. And oh, yeah. Uh, if yeah, so it's one of those games where the tutorial was actually good, which is funny mm-hmm. because I feel a lot of games that have like more complex systems always have really bad tutorials. And it's like I think there's some games that Sega actually back in the day made learning the system fun, and this is one of those games. So I definitely, uh, if you guys want to get good at this game, I suggest you play, you play the, the crazy box and figure a little bit of things out and practice because mm-hmm. that's the only way to get good. Yeah, that's that's a great tip. Yeah, definitely. Because when you go into it, you think, oh, that's a bonus. But I, when I first played the game in arcades, obviously I sucked at it. I got the home version, I got into crazy box, and I realized, like, you know that one where it's like a ski jump? Yeah. 
you drive forward, you fail every time, and you're like, how do I go faster? And then you realize you do the crazy dash, you have to go, duh, duh, you know, like tap it twice, and you get a little extra speed boost, and that causes you to win. Like, it's yeah. just these, these super, the controls are super simple, but you'd never really think it. Um, as far as my strategy of playing now, I'm still not great at it, but I can get better, way better scores than I did when I first started playing. Um, what I typically do is I go for the harder ones because they award more money, obviously. And I just try to do as many narrow misses of oncoming traffic as I can. I typically drive into oncoming traffic and I try to jump as much as I can. Basically, I try to do as many little tricks as I can to get tips. I think where I suffer is that I'm really bad at the crazy drift and the um, backdash. I'm not really good at those. Yeah, those are the hardest ones, I feel. And there's also the whole, like, it actually kind of feels like you're a taxi driver in a way because you have to kind of memorize the map. Like, there's some places where there's uh, you, like, go in a building and have, like, a little jump to go through, like, get a shortcut. Oh, yeah. So it, it kind of forces you to figure out, okay, I've been here through here. I know there's a shortcut here. And you know what I mean? Memorize where you're going and mm -hmm. where everything is at. So there's that part of the yeah, game. Yeah, there's there's times the arrow will be like, go up a hill. And you're like, no, I'm going to go through the railway station, you know, like through the tunnel. And the arrow just goes crazy. And then it, all of a sudden you're like closer to where you wanted to go to begin with. So sometimes you don't follow the arrow, which yeah. um, it's is just, a little, it's like, yeah, it's like a little deceiving. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, Crazy Taxi is well known for its product placement, present in all versions up to the GameCube, and its soundtrack is from Bad Religion and The Offspring, which is present in all versions up to the GameCube and in the recent mobile versions. However, in all versions since the PC, um, we've seen a change to fictional stores on the HD re-release from 2011, and they removed all the original music, replacing it with tracks from such memorable memorable bands as Pivot, One of These Days, where they forgot to you know press the space bar, um, Total Chaos, and some other ones. So, you know, many fans have seen these changes as removing a large part of what makes Crazy Taxi fun and unique. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I mean, as for advertisement and product placements, uh, I don't really care if they take them away. I know it was kind of fun. I remember being a kid and I was like, what the hell? Why do they have KFC in here? That's crazy. I don't understand. And then they have like Tower Records. But that yeah. that isn't a thing anymore. So what are people expecting there? But uh, I don't really mind if they take them away. Tech I mean, to me, it wasn't that huge of a deal. I know there's other people that are fans of the franchise that believe that they should keep them. If they keep mm -hmm. them, I wouldn't care, obviously. So to me, it's not—it's a non-issue. I guess yeah. Bad Religion and Offspring, though, I think that's kind of goes with the game. I think that's the most memorable part of the game for a lot of right. people. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of Bad Religion or the Offspring, but I agree that they kind of fit the game and what they're, the style they were going with. And that's an, actually a question I was going to ask you. Even though mm -hmm. I kind of remember Bad Religion and the Offspring as part of Crazy Taxi, uh, the, the Crazy Taxi, uh, in general, do you think it had a kind of a, uh, what am I trying to say, like a visual representation of what Bad Religion at the Offspring stand for? <laughs> like, I felt like they just got Crazy Taxi and then somebody's like, hey, we could put this music on. And they're like, is that popular in America? They're like, yeah, all right, put it in the game. That's what it seems like. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you look at the characters and they don't really... Maybe Axel might, you know, have this on his playlist on his, like, mixtape. But, yeah, it, it doesn't really reflect... I mean, do you think it reflects the San Francisco setting? I, I feel... To me, it feels like they were looking for what was popular in America and they're like, uh, Bad Religion and, uh, and Offspring are pretty cheap right now. Like, their tracks. All right, let's get those... Because, like, I don't know, I just felt like they could have had, like, a mixed bag, like, a BD, yeah. like, depending on the on the guy you pick, your cabbie. Because they tried to make these cabbies separated from each other, right? I, I thought it would be pretty interesting if one of them was into Offspring and, like, pop-punk music. And then one, yeah. one girl was into jazz music. And, like, you know what I mean? And change it up. I think that would have been pretty interesting. That could have been cool. Yeah, I mean, in reference to those two bands, they both did um, start in California. 
uh, Bad Religion started in LA and um, Huntington Beach, California was where the offspring were from. Both had hits during that time. So I think, you know, I, I, I think they are fitting for that San Francisco kind of setting and for that just crazy taxi kind of feel. Um, but I do really like that idea of, you know, different cabbies give you different playlists, which is, I feel like something they really should have done by the third game, but they didn't. Yeah, um, I, know. I, I mean, I wonder what people would think about that. I, I think that, I, I'm not saying they shouldn't be on here. I think Offspring and Bad Religion should be on here in a form, like, yeah. as a cabbie. Like you said, Axel or, you know, one of the other cabbies could have been their playlist, but uh, Expanding would probably have been cool, too. Yeah, I, I think the 2011 re-release was really a lesson for Sega, though. I mean, I, I think we both know it was a lesson for them, yeah. as evidenced by Jet Set Radio's re-release, which retained all the music, I think, except for one track. But um, yeah, in terms of my answer to the question, I don't think the product placement is necessary. However, it does offer some nostalgia. You know, the I think the voice acting for the the fictional locations is not as good. I think it's a little funnier and over the top with the, take me to KFC, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> it's funnier than they go, take me to the chicken restaurant or whatever it's called, you know. It's those voices um, though, right? Yeah, I, I feel like the voice acting on the newer, the 2011 one was a little lacking. Um, but the music, you can't replace the music. You really can't. It's its one of those things where I think Sega probably looked at those re-releases and thought, the gameplay's there. It's one-to-one. -one. This is awesome. But no, you, you cannot change the music. It's, you know, it's the, it's the oxygen of Crazy Taxi. It's what you hear. Um, it fills the entire air. So when you start playing, you're expecting one of those, you know, five or six songs to kick off. And when it starts going... You know, like some song you've never heard, you're just gonna be like, "Who the hell's Pivot?" Exactly. <laughs> you know. Um, thankfully, they did include them in the mobile versions. Unfortunately, they never updated the uh, console versions with the new music. Though I do know that the Xbox 360 does have the custom soundtracks feature, so you can make your own playlist. But eh. uh, that was that was a miss, I think, in in terms of what Sega was trying to do there with the music. For sure. Um, now, uh, let's let's get into a little interesting history here. So you, we were talking about how you really didn't see a lot of games like Crazy Taxi, and I think there's a reason for that. So in 2003, Sega filed a lawsuit against Fox Interactive, Electronic Arts, and Radical Entertainment, claiming that The Simpsons' Road Rage was a patent infringement of Crazy Taxi. So specifically, Sega owned the rights to pick up and drop off game with an arrow showing where the destination was. I'm pretty sure that's about the limit to what they owned uh, the rights to. And at the time, IGN stated that Road Rage features similar gameplay to the point where some reviews commented negatively on the parallels. So it actually hurt Simpsons Road Rage to copy Crazy Taxi um, in terms of reviewers. The case um, of Sega of America Incorporated versus Fox Interactive was settled in private for an undisclosed amount with Sega being the victor. And um, following Road Rage, Fox Interactive actually released The Simpsons Hit and Run, which was a blatant copy of Grand Theft Auto, though no lawsuit occurred. Do you remember this lawsuit? I do remember this lawsuit. I remember because my friend was uh, really into Road Rage. And when, yeah. he, when he read about it in one of the magazines, uh, he was telling me about how pissed off he was that that Sega's picking on people for making better version of, uh, <laughs> of Crazy Taxi. But, uh, I mean, in the end of the day, I, I don't know. I, I'm having mixed feelings about this whole lawsuit because, like, all right, so, yeah, they copied Crazy Taxi, and, yeah, you owned the patent rights, so I guess they were the right to do this because they owned mm -hmm. the rights, and they kind of invented it. But it's kind of like somebody copying, uh, like, you know how many co games copy Assassin's Creed? The Batman yeah. game. Uh, every game that's almost out, like Far Cry, all these games are just copying each other. So, yeah. I, I think they copy each other more blatantly than, than Road Rage copied Crazy Taxi, which was pretty blatant, blatant as, as it was, you know? So, I mean, what's you, your opinion on it? I think the issue was is that, you know, in 2003, Sega, I think, had Crazy Taxi 3 coming out um, or had just come out. Uh, so Simpsons Road Rage was releasing on the same consoles that Crazy Taxi was on. So it was really competing with it. You know, if people are saying... Oh, I want a game 
where you pick people up and drop them off within a time limit. Oh, I recognize the Simpsons brand over this crazy taxi game. I'm gonna buy that. I could see why Sega would be pissed off. You know, it's it's not original gameplay at all. It's, um, in, and if Crazy Taxi never released, Road Rage never would have happened. And I think that's a big issue there. It was, it, you know, it wasn't as though they were like, oh, let's make a genre out of this. They very clearly were like, let's make Crazy Taxi with The Simpsons. And uh, a lot of people online always tell me like, oh, Road Rage was such a great game. Like, I always see it on, on uh, those retro forums and stuff. People seem to really like Road Rage because basically it was Crazy Taxi ripoff with Simpsons. Uh, and the Simpsons are great, you know. They have a lot of uh, characters, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to like grab yeah. and use and make it interesting. So my my thing is, why hasn't Sega like thought about it? Like, oh, we could mm-hmm. use another IP and use the Crazy Taxi gameplay. I mean, like <laughs> Iron Man driving around. No, I'm joking. Maybe not Iron Man. Maybe yeah. that's not the right one. But like, they could use another IP, like uh, Family Guy. I don't, I'm not really into Family Guy, but like. They could, I mean, that would make a gazillion dollars just oh, add some geez. fart jokes and all the people yeah, that watch the show would love that. it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think I rented Road Rage, but yeah, it's, well, Hit and Run is really good, and I know it's a ripoff of Grand Theft Auto, but I feel like in Grand Theft Auto's case, they probably don't have patents on it. No. <laughs> um, and Simpsons, I think they changed the rules up enough that it, it wasn't a direct ripoff. So I think that's what they had going in their favor, but eh, you know, um, <laughs> Sega wins the lawsuit. So did you did you play Road Rage though? Road Rage, I played a little bit of it. I didn't like it because, as IGN noted, you know, people actually re- re- reacted negatively to the parallels just because they were like, well, like I was like, this is a ripoff, you know, and it helped kind of hurt my um, ability to play. Overall it. opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the Dreamcast version. So the Dreamcast version included a larger map, which the developers saw as a way to create the feeling of being lost and allowing home console players to learn the town. Mini games in the Crazy Box helped players improve their skills through challenges. So do you think AM3 succeeded in extending the game and making the arcade port worthy of home consoles? Yeah, I thought it was one of the must-have games on the Dreamcast. I still have a few copies of it. I think a lot of people I knew in real life also had it. I would say that this probably sold over a million copies in America. I would I would assume, because I knew a lot of people that had this game. And I felt like uh, it also was one of the few titles to make it a, as a Sega All-Star game, which was, at the time, Sega's version of The Greatest Hits. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, this is a great console port. I think this is one of the one of the biggest reasons to actually buy a Dreamcast was, was the arcade ports at the time, and Soul Calibur and this one were probably some two of the best ones. That and like Marvel vs. Capcom two was great too. Oh yeah, I mean, what, what's it, your opinion? It really was a home arcade console, the Dreamcast. Um, I I loved the fact that they made a larger map. In fact, when I go back to the arcade version, I just realize how small it is. It's just, it's kind of yeah. surprising. Um, I, as mentioned, I love the Crazy Box challenges. I still think the game feels a little small when compared to other titles on the console, but I think as a um, early release, it's definitely, you know, a great showcase of what the Dreamcast is capable of, and I think it's, it's one of the few Sega arcade ports that really put a lot of effort into making it work on home consoles to the point where it's almost not one you know it's 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 like its own game almost it's almost like crazy taxi you know like director's cut or something yeah and you know what sega am3 used to always do this like i think they're the best examples of bringing a a i guess arcade game and bringing it to the home console i mean even virtual tennis had some really great mini games oh yeah that would teach you yeah and I think a lot of like uh, other Sega teams didn't really care as much as they did. Like Sega AM2, like they had great games, but like they released Virtual uh, Virtual Cop. Oh, just what three maps? Yeah, that didn't add anything. They're like, nah, fuck it. If you liked it in the arcades, you'll buy it in the in the home game in the uh, at home. Yeah, I experienced yeah. that with um, 18 Wheeler. I bought that when it came out, and I was like, I felt a little ripped off. <laughs> It, um, I don't think it was a full price title, but still, like you, you play it and you're like, 
That's it? That's it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I even think some of the magazines at the time were like, man, they, they could have put more content into this. So people were, I think, starting to get used to Sega doing that. And so when they didn't do that, you, you definitely notice it. I think in the Saturn era, they did that a lot, but they got away with it. Um, just because those game people really didn't expect long, deep games on the Saturn. They just were excited to get a arcade experience at home. Um, let's talk a little bit about the sequels. I know we don't usually do this, but who knows when we'll get to Crazy Taxi 2 on Sega Talk. There's so many other titles to cover. Uh, yeah. So there were two direct sequels and several spin-offs. Crazy Taxi 2 was a Dreamcast exclusive and took place in a New York setting, introducing the Crazy Hop and multiple fares at once. Crazy Taxi Next, which I totally forgot about until I started making notes for this. I was super excited for this. I remember this game. It was a canceled concept for the Xbox, which would have been an online exclusive, you know, like an online version of both games, and it would have had a night and day cycle introduced. So you would be driving around a city, and I guess like other players would be driving around stealing your fares. It sounded awesome. Um, yeah, sounds pretty good on paper. Yeah, did, do you remember reading about this? Uh, I remember vaguely reading about this. I don't remember all the details, but it sounds pretty cool from what you tell me. I mean, I think an online version of Crazy Taxi would have could have worked. Yeah, I, I wrote these notes on the go, so I didn't have any time to look at my Xbox Nation magazines. But now I really want to go in there and see what they said because I, I, you know, it's funny. A lot of the Xbox games, I feel like they used the name Next when they were working on them. You know, like. But I don't, I don't think they ever actually released a game with Next in the title. No. I don't know. Just uh, teasing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Crazy Taxi 3, though, it ended up being an Xbox exclusive that later came to PC, and it took place in a Las Vegas setting, featuring day and night driving and a multiplayer mode. And there were also uh, headlights, I think. The, the cars had headlights. Um, I, I, Crazy Taxi 3, it's an interesting one because I feel like 2 is such a great game that 3 didn't do it for me. It really didn't. I actually had to agree with you. I don't know what it was about it. I remember being kind of excited about it and then when it, when I actually started playing it, I played it for like maybe a couple hours and then I never played it again. It doesn't... I have no idea why. I think because what it tries to do... Like Crazy Taxi 2, it, uh, it introduced that hop. Which seems yeah. like not a lot, but it changes the whole way you play. In fact, um, the developer said something to the effect of the New York setting was so flat that unlike San Francisco, you couldn't go up and down and get that three-dimensional feel. So they introduced the hop so that you could actually get up in the air without the San Francisco hills. Um, but with Crazy Taxi 3, you know, the Las Vegas setting, they didn't play off of it at all. It wasn't as though there was some new gameplay element. Uh, night and day driving, I don't really feel like there was much of a difference there. Maybe there were different, like, passengers at night, but it just, it, it seemed more like a map pack, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I was going to say, don't you think that maybe Crazy Taxi Next turned into Crazy Taxi 3? Oh, for sure. I think they just dropped a lot of things. Now, the one thing I know that they did have was a multiplayer mode in 3, but again, you got to have friends. You know, and you got to play it with uh, some. Where do you get those? I don't know where you, where get, you get those. those? Um, and I think the problem was is that a lot of you know a lot of games were moving into that online gameplay environment, and so you're looking forward to it. And then when the game comes out, they really scaled back a lot of things. And instead of online, you get multiplayer. And again, you know, I mean, Jet Set Radio Future on the Xbox had multiplayer, and people hardly talk about that either. Yeah, I don't think it was very uh, noteworthy. No, no. Um, there were also several spin-offs, including handheld ports, which, you know, vary in quality. Have you ever played the Game Boy Advance version? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. <laughs> it's not as good, I'll tell you that right now. It's, I mean, it's ambitious. A lot of those Game Boy Advance Dreamcast ports, they were very ambitious, um, but obviously to a fault. <laughs> you know, like, you can't, of course, you can't make a Game Boy Advance version of Crazy Taxi, uh, but they tried. And then there were there were some um, other ones. There were the mobile titles like City Rush and Gazillionaire. So, my question yeah. is, what is your favorite and least favorite title of the series? I mean, there, there's always going to be a special place in you know the first Crazy Taxi. I think 
it's probably my most played it's the most popular one it's most i think it's most popular because that was the one that was in the arcades and there was a home version and i played it with friends when we went to the movies all the time and it's kind of like there's some bonding there but crazy taxi 2 is great too uh three i like it's probably my least favorite hmm interesting yeah I would say, I would kind of echo your statement. One is just such a classic that it's kind of hard not to name it as your favorite. But two, and I think this is the case with a lot of Sega sequels, took everything that worked in the original and added a little extra, you know, special spice and made it even better. I loved the hopping mechanic. Um, I believe, didn't it have all the maps from the first game? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and so it was almost like, why would you go back to the first one? Um, and I think it even added the hop to the Crazy Taxi 1 maps, which gave you kind of a new dimension of playing, kind of like how you'd play Sonic 2 with Knuckles. Um, least favorite, I'm not going to be so harsh on Crazy Taxi 3. I think like, like 2, it included all the past courses, so that was really cool. Um, it just didn't, it just felt like it was kind of lacking in ambition. Now, I would say probably my least favorite is the Game Boy Advance port. Well, of course. I mean, that's easy. I yeah. mean, if I could choose that. I was just talking from the three. But I would say this. Isn't it kind of weird that Crazy Taxi, at least it felt, I haven't done research on this, mm-hmm. but that the first one did really well in the arcade, yet two and three did not come out in arcade. It was console exclusive. That is really Isn't that weird. that kind of weird? Yeah, that's, that's very weird. And I mean, I'm trying to think of, uh, Sega's done that a lot. Um, for example, Space Harrier 2 was a Genesis exclusive. I think each, I feel like each um, console era, they did that with some game where it was an arcade hit, and then in order to sell consoles, they would make a sequel exclusive to the home console. Um, so, yeah, it is odd though, because I, I sometimes I'll have these false memories of playing Crazy Taxi 2 or 3 in the arcade, and then I'll realize, no, that, that never happened. <laughs> that, that can't happen. That can't happen. I was going to say... Um, like, what is your opinion on the whole, like, okay, do you think Crazy Taxi 2 and 3 kind of got way less attention compared to Crazy Taxi 1 because it wasn't on arcades? Or do you think it's because, like, the Dreamcast was kind of a failure as a console? Hey. I mean, technically, <laughs> only 10 million... Hey! Um, only 10 million units sold, right? Yeah. And then the, the Xbox did what? 15 million units, if that? Yeah. So do you, th- so you think that being on those two consoles makes people kind of forget that there was a two and a three because every time i hear people talking about crazy taxi they're always talking about the first one yeah i i think you're definitely right on that people who bought the dreamcast they bought the first crazy taxi and they were good with that they didn't buy the sequel and you see that a lot of times you know like a game the first one will be super popular the sequel comes out it's better and it doesn't sell as well because people are so I think because it's kind of targeting casuals, you know, and casuals aren't going to be like, I need the sequel, and I need the third one, and I need the mobile port, and I need this and that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's it's kind of a hard thing. And do you think that the game is outdated now that uh, there's no such thing as taxi drivers anymore <laughs> with uh, Uber and <laughs> with uh, Uber and Lyft? Um, no, I don't think it's outdated. I mean, I I think. You, you still see taxis in major cities, <laughs> but joking, it is, but, yeah. but that is interesting because Crazy Taxi Gazillionaire, one of the, the whole thing is that you start your business and there's this Uber guy, this like guy who has an Uber empire. And we actually both received um, boxes from this fictional company and it came with water and mints and like a little letter saying, here's a sticker for your car. And I think it was kind of, the whole game kind of makes fun of that uber you know super company putting all the small taxi companies out of business um which you know gazillionaires is not bad i like that it's offline i like that um it's it's very free to play friendly you know i never felt like they were putting me behind a paywall i like that it raises it earns money as you don't play it so i actually go back like every week and just check it um but i think and maybe maybe this will be an answer for a later question too. But I think in if they ever do a sequel, they really should play off that Uber thing. You know? Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a time period where I think we need another Crazy Taxi, but we could talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the subject of sequels, so Kenji Kano noted that the gameplay in the Crazy Taxi series 
has otherwise not evolved with each new game. And he said this is because basically the whole point of the game is to have a lot of fun in a short period of time, and it's a very concentrated game. So instead of trying to evolve the series necessarily, it's more like taking that concept and putting it in different places and seeing how that works. So do you think Crazy Taxi should see a return to arcades and consoles, and do you think evolution is necessary? Uh, I don't think... Well, I think it's been so long since the first Crazy Taxi, and I think a lot of people skipped on the sequel and the third one. Mm -hmm. And I feel like uh, that right now is the time, maybe get all the maps, get somebody, get, get the car physics feeling good. I'm not saying feeling realistic, because yeah. I think realis realistic stuff in Crazy Taxi will not work out. No. And uh, put together a game that has, you know, that has all those, those crazy systems in it. And let's see how it does. I think it would do pretty well. I think a game like Crazy Taxi is pretty low budget, like in terms of the kind of content it has in it. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not like they're going to be putting like 150 cars like Gran Turismo or anything. <laughs> so I think it's something to try out. Maybe a budget $20 Sonic Mania type title with that kind of like uh, focus on, fan, on fans. I think... A lot of these big publishers like Sega, they want to focus on like your mom and your dad and the and the bro that plays Call of Duty. I don't think those people are going to be playing the game. I think you should focus on the fans that you have, and mm. then hope hoping that like word of mouth makes the game and the IP, you know, worth picking up. Especially for only like twenty bucks, I think a lot of fans will come back, even if it's yeah. an arcade title. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's interesting, though, that Kenji says that the game was never about evolution, but instead of putting it in new different places and seeing how it works, I think that worked exceedingly well for New York because it was flat and they added the jump. I really think the concept, though, fell flat, as we said, with the Las Vegas setting in the third one because I feel like they didn't do anything to make the game... Uh, play differently or, or suit that setting. It's almost like, okay, Las Vegas is flat, New York's flat, like what's the difference? It's dark out, you know? Yeah. I feel like they didn't do enough and I'm not asking for the cars to fly, but maybe they could have done something where you could like drive on, you know, like vertical surfaces, you know? Something that small could be a game changer. Yeah, I agree with you. I was gonna um, tell you, why do mm -hmm. you think that the developers always made it in America. Like we have San Francisco, New York, and then Las Vegas. Why do you think they chose American locations? You know, I don't know, and I'm I'm actually surprised they didn't do the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift sort of thing, where it's like the game suddenly goes to Japan, and they say that there's like um, a taxi driver competition, like international taxi driver competition. You get like the Russian taxi driver, and um, you know the American one, a Japanese one. That could actually. You know, in terms of reviving the franchise, I think that could be a really interesting way to spin it, is it's like an international competition. So we yeah. get all these all these different countries represented. Um, I think, you know, I think it's interesting though that when you look at Sega's mobile pillars, I know Sega doesn't really talk pillars anymore, but Crazy Taxi really is up there. Like, it's basically Sonic, Crazy Taxi, and the Sega Forever stuff is really what Sega has going on mobile right now. And it's well, kind of surprising. Well, it's funny because it's in America, if it, it is Crazy Taxi. It feels like, like you said, that was the, the pillars in America. In Japan, yeah. it's totally different. It's like Puyo Puyo, uh, Chain Chronicle. Chain, yeah. yeah. And it's like totally different uh, mobile pil pil uh, pillars out there. So... Yeah, I think there's obviously, I think Sega knows there's a grab for Crazy Taxi as a brand in America. So and hopefully they see it in the console sphere too. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting too, just because, you know, I know mobile games get a bad rap, and sometimes we'll do a video and just say the word mobile and we'll get a thumbs down. It's weird. Yeah. Um, now, I, I personally think that all these types of games could coexist. However, it I do understand how it can be annoying when something like uh, Zaxxon Escape releases, and it's like, oh wow, Sega Mobile made a Zaxxon game. Where's the original port? You know, like where's the original Zaxxon? Um, I think Crazy Taxi though is how to do it right. They made a pitch perfect mobile port of the game, the first game, 
And then they made City Rush. And I know there were people going, oh man, I would have liked the sequel. I would love to see the sequel on uh, home console and mobile. But the fact that the original game is available, City Rush doesn't sting. You know, it's like, okay, well, it's like Temple Run, Crazy Taxi. Okay. And then Gazillionaire released. And some people moaned about it. But most people were like, oh, this is pretty cool. It's like... Um, you know, like a tapper management sort of game. And so it's like, as long as you give people the original game, they're not going to be as upset when you make these little mobile spinoffs, I think. Oh, I agree, yeah. And I think in terms of the series continuing, I would love to see, I think what I would really love to see is Crazy Taxi 2 release on Sega Forever. And then from there, I'd like to see it released to home consoles. And then I'd like to see a fourth Crazy Taxi released as a downloadable title to home consoles, mobile, and, you know, PC. And do some sort of, you know, like collector's edition release like Sonic Mania, but on a, lower, a smaller scale. You know, like a less, less production run of that. And you get like maybe a little taxi, hot wheel car, download code, and... I don't know, like a fuzzy dice, you know. We, we I mean, there's also that uh, crazy, uh, that crash, the trilogy they made where it's like remade, yeah, but yeah. like, like control wise is exactly like the originals. I think something like that could be pretty cool. I mean, that does well, like thirty dollars, ten dollars each game, but like remade graphics only, where it's like it looks new but it plays exactly like the old ones. I think that could be good for the franchise, at least to see yeah. if there's. A, an actual need for a new Crazy Taxi game? That could be really great. You could do Crazy Taxi Trilogy, give people the options to turn on and off um, various editions uh, they did throughout the series. So like you could turn the hop on and off. Um, you could do Day Night for all three games, which would be pretty cool. And then make a fourth exclusive map. So it's technically not Crazy Taxi 4, but you're getting the amount of content you might get in a Crazy Taxi 4. I'd play that. I think that would be awesome. I'm I'm really hoping they do it now. Um, my last question before we get into the uh, pop culture at the time, I, I just threw this one in there. I always thought this was kind of interesting. So since 1999, um, BD Joe has become the face of Crazy Taxi, pushing the poor green-haired Axel aside. So... Who do you think the star of Crazy Taxi is, and why Why do you think they've had this shift from Axel to BD Joe? This is kind of getting into the lore, so. <laughs> oh, I didn't know there was a crazy, I didn't know you were a Crazy Taxi historian. But, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I always thought it was Axel, right? When I used to play the game, I always thought Axel was the main guy. And I don't know, people might think of me as a bad guy for saying this, but because he was white. I think white people are always <laughs> like, especially in the 90s, like all the games, the white people, even Japanese games, well, white guy, oh, that guy's the main guy. Oh, Joe Musashi, yeah, he's a white ninja. Like, yeah. So, I mean, I always thought, it, and he was the only one that actually looked punk. I think that was also the other thing. Like everybody else just looked like, hey, we're here, whatever. And Axel, like you said, matched the music. So I assume that he was the, the, the main character since all the music kind of matched his style. So well, he, that, no. Yeah, he definitely was the star of the first game. The sequel, the sequels actually had different white guys with colored hair. The I think the second one was Angel. I forgot the third one, but he had second one had white hair, third one had red hair. But they were all kind of like showing off their chest. Um, I just think it's interesting because you know with um, Crazy Taxi City Rush, I think BD Joe is the first character you meet, and then also in All Stars Racing. BD Joe is the racer representing Crazy Taxi. So, so, but yeah, BD Joe has that smile, you know, it melts your heart. I mean, it, it really makes me wonder if they did some testing and found out that most people play as BD Joe, because I know I play as him all the time. I mean, so did I, and I remember when we were, I guess we asked people on Twitter what they thought, or yeah. th was the main character, I think that's what we asked, and people, everybody liked BD Joe, so... It's interesting though they changed his voice and on the subject in the in the later releases and on the subject of voice actors we actually did a or I did an interview with Liesl Wilkerson who was in Crazy Taxi uh, the Shenmue games and um, she plays Sarah Bryant and so if you're if you're interested in learning a little bit about the recording process for those types of games in Japan definitely give that a listen one one funny thing she told me is that 
the guy who does the narration, you know, the hey, 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 that guy, he, she babysat him. Yeah, I, I mean, I was in the podcast. I mean, Jesus Christ, dude. Oh, were you there? Yeah, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We talked about um, it afterwards, the the podcast. I didn't record it. You were, we were talking about how weird it was that, uh, how small world it was that she knew the guy, right? Like, I know. personally. I know, and I was like, oh, we should talk to him. And she's like, nah. <laughs> That's all you better. I, he'd probably not return your messages. And I was like, oh, it makes sense. He's crazy. Um, so yeah, that that about wraps things up for Crazy Taxi. But I did want to talk a bit about pop culture. So um, we've already covered 1999 in our Power Stone episode. So what I thought I'd do to mix thing up things up is we're going to talk about TV shows and arcade games at the time in 1999. And so. TV shows, it's actually a huge year for the debuts of some pretty big shows. Um, Never heard of any of these shows right here. Yeah, well, (laughs) some of them were actually uh, canceled pretty quickly. Uh, But The Sopranos debuted in 99, Futurama 99, Freaks and Geeks, SpongeBob SquarePants, and Family Guy. So do you have distinct memories of any of these? Uh, I didn't see Freaks and Geeks until like probably like four years ago. Yeah. So I don't remember Freaks and Geeks when it came out since it was canceled like in a split second. Uh, the Sopranos, I remember The Sopranos. I remember obviously Futurama and uh, Family Guy. Yeah. Family Guy was such a strange show. Like when it started, it was a totally different show than it is now. And uh, But Futurama, I liked a lot, but it was like canceled, then not canceled, then canceled yeah. again. Exactly. It was one yeah. of those weird... Th- so it was this Family Guy was canceled, then they brought back, right? Yeah, Family Guy was canceled. Um, Freaks and Geeks was canceled. Futurama was canceled. Um, SpongeBob is, I think, that's still airing to this day, though, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, in terms of any ties to Crazy Taxi, I mean, obviously, none of these shows influenced Crazy Taxi. Though I, I do think it's worth noting Futurama with Fry, I really feel like he's kind of of that slacker generation that they were kind of showing off with the cabbies. Like, you look at Fry and he's got, like, the weird hair, and he works at a pizza company. He doesn't really have, you know, that many ambitions except for doing his pizza job, delivery job. And, you know, he's, he's a delivery man, kind of like the few, the uh, crazy taxi drivers delivering passengers. So that's Futurama my... <laughs> Road Rage. Yeah, that's my loose connection. And Futurama, the first uh, episode, kicks off with an arcade game being played on screen, so there you go. Um, Which brings us actually into arcade games. So there were a lot of interesting games released in 1999. In fact, I I feel like, you know, as the years went on, we, you know, you look at something like 2017 or 2016, God, we're really gonna have to like, you know, stretch ourselves to find what great arcade games released in those years. It's it's kind of upsetting, I don't know. Uh, Street Fighter III Third Strike, Soul Calibur, Gigawing, F355 Challenge, Samba de Amigo, and Star Wars Racer Arcade. Do you have any fond memories of these titles? Uh, Street Fighter 3 Third Strike is probably one of my favorite Street Fighter games. I think it's beautifully animated. It's a great arcade release. I don't know if it did that well when it came out. But mm-hmm. Because it was the last Capcom in-house fighting game since, I guess, they're doing the new Marvel vs. Capcom Infinity game. <laughs> so... It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Soul Calibur was pretty good. I, I don't remember playing in the arcade, so, I mean, whatever. But uh, F355 Challenge was one of those games I bought because Yuzuzuki was behind it. That's all yeah. you need sometimes, right? When you're like a fanboy <laughs> like me, you're like, Yuzuzuki, say no more. I got this about the game. <laughs> um, I, I played it on the Dreamcast. People said that it was supposed to be kind of like playing or driving a real Ferrari. I have no yeah. idea because I suck at it, and I'm all, I'm the type of guy that likes playing arcade racing games where you drive 150 miles per hour and then drift corners like it's nothing, unrealistic. But uh, yeah, Samba de Amigo, I didn't play in arcade, and neither the Star Wars one either. What about you? Ah. Um, well, in terms of the first three, uh, I did not play them. I remember Giga Wing. I think I rented it for the Dreamcast. It's on Dreamcast, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those games I rented, and I'm like, oh, cool, I should buy this someday, and then I didn't, and then it goes up in price. Oops. Um, F355 Challenge, I think, is an interesting one in relation to Crazy Taxi, because I feel like, despite being a Sega game running on Naomi hardware, it is the exact opposite 
of Crazy Taxi. It's like, yeah. you know, it takes itself super serious. Uh, you have to really put a lot of thought into the, the driving controls. It's like the equivalent of, you know, like, I don't know, like reading a book and sipping tea compared to Crazy Taxi's, like eating a, you know, like 10 bowls of cereal and like kicking a cow. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. And I suck at F-355 Challenge, but I play it every time I see it in arcades because of the Yu Suzuki, you know, connections. And I think it, it actually has a song that later appeared in Shenmue. Um, I think so. Uh, the the cart the the forklift driving music I think is in the game or something like that. And you think that F three five five challenge is ignored because maybe the name is kind of like dumb. Let's be honest. Yeah. Or it's you a, think or you yeah. think it's just because it's one of those titles that didn't really have hype. Like, did did you remember hype for this game? I don't. And I think the problem was is that it was really an enthusiast kind of game. I feel like it was a passion project for Yu Suzuki because. You know, he probably wanted to recreate the experience of actually driving one of these cars because you don't get to drive one of these cars every day. The problem was, though, is that it wasn't a very approachable game. Um, it felt... It was kind of like, you know, you go into an arcade. You're, you're gonna, you know you're going to play some wacky games. You're going to have some fun. You know, you probably just had some pizza or some beer or some soda, whatever. But then F-355 Challenge, you sit down to play it, and it's almost like telling you, oh, oh. Dust the seat off first. Take a seat. Hello. I'm F355 Challenge, and today you'll be driving... Pay attention. Today you'll be driving a very expensive car. There are a lot of rules here. There are three screens in front of you. You'll see the left... You know, and it's just like, you're like, all right, let me just play the damn game. You start playing it, and you're like, this is boring, and you walk <laughs> you walk away from it while, the, you know, the, the timer's still running. Yeah, it's one of those weird games where I you have to really like cars to like that game. Yeah. Uh, Samba de Amigo, I think, is probably one of my favorite Sega arcade games uh, that I've never played in the arcade. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do have the, um, the, you know, Dreamcast version as well as the sequel. I have... I love the game so much that friends would actually give me their old con Maraca controllers because they're like... You can have this. And I have like three or four controllers now. It's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, I love Samba de Amigo so much. And it's one of the... I think it's probably the game I'm the best at, which is weird. Because, you know, like, we'll talk on all these shows and I'll be like, Yeah, I've played so many games. But let's be honest, I'm shit at a lot of them. Of Samba de Amigo, though, I can play like super hard and get an A rank in some of those songs. And it just feels so rewarding. But I'm so sweaty afterwards. Uh, Star Wars Racer Arcade, I love that game. Um, and, you know, to do a shout-out to them again, Galloping Ghost just got the game back on the floor. They had they had a version before, and it was kind of funny because they replaced the handles with, like, grips from, like, I don't know, like, skiing equipment or something. Like, they really had to, had to like, find parts that did not come with the game. But um, the new version, it's complete, I've heard, so I'm really ex really excited to play that. You gotta feel um, bad for those people there at uh, Galloping Ghost Arcade having to like fix arcade machines 24 hours a day, especially when you have 900 of them, you know? Yeah, no, they're, they're at, um, they wanna hit 1,000 soon, and I think they're going to hit 650 this year. They're insane. Yeah, and but what's crazy is, and I think I've mentioned this on another podcast, they their their um, the rate in which games are out of order is so low. Like when I was there, the guy was like, "Yeah, this weekend only six games will be offline." Like think of that. And he said most arcades, it's like 10, 10 to twenty percent of the games are out of order. Yeah, like the one I went into, a lot of those arcade games, the place I was talking about before, they should have just shut the whole place down because I, I was playing the, their Daytona machine. Yeah. And all the screens were all fucked, like, they were all fucked up. Like, the color was all, like, blue. One of them was all shaded blue. The other screen, like, only one screen worked. And then, like, the gear thing didn't work that well, so I had to play automatic. It's oh, whatever. man. It's terrible, dude. Like, those places that die like that, that's terrible. You got to keep them up. Got to keep them repaired. I was playing uh, the Let's Go Island game at an arcade recently. Like, you know, the couples game where you, you and the girl are driving around. And yeah. the graphics were like freaking out like parts of the characters bodies were stretched to infinity it's almost like the like the point that says this is where the neck is 
stayed at the beginning of the game and you kept driving and like your neck was stretching from the beginning of the game. It was bizarre. And I'm like, I I've never experienced that to the point where the game itself is actually glitching out. Like that's, that's gotta be like a deep problem that you can't fix with a wrench, you know? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, anything you want to add about Crazy Taxi? Because we're an hour in, and I think that's enough. Oh, no. Crazy that's crazy. Um, I guess, you know, you, we, we always... I think we always close these things out. It's been so long since the last episode. Um, telling people the best way to play it. Well, if they should play it, and the best way to play it. And I think uh, they should definitely play this game. Yes. I think the best way to play it... Um, for the least amount of money is to get the uh it's it's sega forever right now right i think it might be on sega forever is it already out though um yeah so crazy taxi i think it started it, it is free to play and it's a dollar 99 to remove ads though they didn't roll it into the sega forever service yet but they will um and so that's i think the easiest way to get it however if you want the home experience you can get it on ps2 gamecube dreamcast um, I would ignore the Xbox 360 and PS3 versions because of the music missing. Um, so and the sound effects are also different, I think. Yeah, yeah, and the voices too. So, I mean, what do you? What would you suggest people play it on? I think I would suggest it on uh, consoles. Uh, the ones you said, PS2, GameCube, uh, Dreamcast. Even the Dreamcast version isn't even expensive, and I think you could find it on PS2 pretty cheap as well. So. Yeah, I would definitely get it on one of those mm -hmm. and oh, enjoy the uh, game. Yeah, and also worth noting, you know, the, the second and third one does have the content from the first one. So as much as we've ripped on Crazy Taxi 3, it is a great compilation disc for the trilogy. Um, and yeah, so play the game, go out there, enjoy it, be crazy, get crazy, yeah, and we yeah, will see yeah, you yeah. on the next Sega Talk podcast in the near future. So thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Like, follow, you know, do all that good stuff. Leave us a good, 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 good